0: I had no intention of taking that off. But I am a man of the people, so. (laughs) I love you too, amen, amen. Um, This is not an exaggeration, by the way. In my seven, almost seven months of being here in Baltimore, I've run across more Chiefs fans than I have 12 years living in New Orleans. As a matter of fact, uh, my main man, Philemon, where are, you, where are you at, brother? Uh-oh, did he run out? Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> but he has his Chiefs gear, so uh, y'all give him a shout-out. Uh, there is a child in my children's school that rock- There he goes, Philemon... <laughs> There there you go. (laughs) Yes, brother, hey, represented well today. Don't worry about it. Uh, A a child at my uh, friend's school has been rocking his chief stuff the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was getting something done to my car the other day. Fella had on a chief's hat. And uh, so I don't feel alone in Baltimore. (laughs) I feel good. And uh, I say this as a joke, but also somewhat seriously. Um, you know, for those of you all who, whose team didn't get a chance to make it, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and folks were seriously down, and, and I get that, I've been there before as well, and Of course, we get very spiritual in those moments, and we say, the Lord is on the throne, and let's remember that. And uh, we always have something to be joyful about because our Lord is on the throne. Well, I say that not only to those who might have been down because their teams are no longer playing, but for those of us who do have a team that's playing, let's also remember, even if we win, when we win, that our joy is in the Lord. Amen. And so that is what shall keep us steady, uh, win or lose. And by the way, thank you to those who are wearing red. I don't know if that's chief's red or blood of Jesus red, but, oh, Valentine's Day, <laughs> <though. laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I won't say anything about that. But by the way, believe it or not, this is actually my first time wearing a jersey in the pulpit. And I know my team has not been to the Super Bowl since 70. <laughs> but this is, a, this, is, this is different from me for me. But uh, nonetheless, y'all have made me take up too much time. I need to get to this sermon and then to this blood of Jesus, but, uh, but no, brothers and sisters, uh, the Lord is good, whether or not we're celebrating football or whatever, the Lord is always our main attraction, amen? If you're, if you're happy, if you happen to be visiting, you've heard it referenced already, and I'll say it again, uh, but February, our nation sets aside this month uh, as Black History Month uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but here at the church, uh, in conjunction with Black History, we celebrate uh, February as Unity Month, in which we all, uh, no matter your ethnicity, are called to come together in light of what the Lord has done for us. And the sermons for the month of February will focus upon the concept of unity, and we'll see how Jesus unites us in light of our diversity. Amen? So if you are able to stand, I'll ask you to do so now. <clears throat> and our portion of scripture this morning comes from Revelation chapter 7. We'll pick up in verse number 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10. It fits a larger context, but for this morning's purposes, we'll focus upon verses 9 and 10. So let me read this and then pray, and then uh, feel free to be seated. In Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, we read these words, and this is, we believe, John the Apostle. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation and to our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we look at this portion of Scripture this morning, we pray that by your Spirit, we would embrace what it is that your Word says, and that we would be filled with a greater love for you and what you have done for us. We thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your Word. We thank you, for the worship service as a whole, and we pray, Lord, that you will be honored even in this moment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. one of the things that I love about this specific portion of Scripture, and it's not only the case in this portion of Scripture, but I, I see it in a, a more forceful way. But looking at this portion of Scripture is almost like looking in a mirror. When you look in a mirror, you see yourself. And when we look at this portion of Scripture, not only are we reading but we are looking at a picture that includes us. So this is not just about David. This is not simply just about uh, Ruth or Esther uh, or Peter or Mary. Of course, they're included in this. But when we look at this portion of Scripture, we see ourselves in this portion of Scripture. And by the way, I was also extremely encouraged to see that group uh, that's sang during or sung during our uh, tithes and offerings, because that is also a glimpse of this specific portion of Scripture. And so this is a, this is a, a, a joyous occasion. This is a hopeful portion of Scripture. But let's, before we look at uh, aspects of the verses before us, we need to understand a little bit of stuff that's going on behind the scene. For one, we would do well to know that this book, this collection of visions, uh, is written by a suffering author. Most uh, Bible commentaries, at least historically, believe that that suffering author was the Apostle John, who, as a result of his faith in Jesus, had been not only persecuted, but exiled. So he has been pushed away from the people that he was ministering to on a day-to-day basis. So the author who is writing this is in the midst of suffering, as he writes. But he's also writing to a suffering audience, who likewise is suffering on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. So you have a suffering author suffering on account of Jesus, You have an audience who is suffering on account of Jesus, and the message as a whole centers upon a victorious Jesus who once suffered himself. So this this book, and again, it's it's symbolic in a variety of places. It's uh, a book that has caused a variety of interpretations, but All things considered, most folks, regardless of your interpretation, would say that this book as a whole is meant to be encouraging to the people of God. So, the suffering author is writing to a suffering audience in order to encourage them. And basically, the encouragement is that Jesus, who also suffered, is on the throne. He's alive. He's well, and for those of us who are in him will likewise rise with victory. That is kind of the big concept going on there. But that being said, in light of Unity Month, I want us to think about the idea of being unified in our worship, united in worship. I don't know if this is the case, this is probably a general thought, but the reality is there might be more things that make us different than there are things that make us similar. I I have no problem with someone debating that with me, and I'm not suggesting that my thoughts on this is the correct thought, but I would venture to say that there are a lot of things that divide us. I mean there are things that are obvious, perhaps it's our politics or whatnot, uh, but then there are even things that are not so serious. I mean our food choices. I mean folks, some of you like mayonnaise. <laughs> oh I see a hand, oh Lord have mercy. <laughs> Elders pull him aside and let's pray. For him. <laughs> And for me, it's almost a sin to eat mayonnaise, and jokingly, of course. And, and you know, some of us prefer a certain style of music. I think, Holly, what did you reference? That was kind of pop or cu- not country, some, something. <laughs> and some like jazz. Some who, <laughs> some hip-hop. And, 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 and we all have our differences of taste, but the idea is there are certain things that you might like and I might look at you differently for liking what you like, and you look at me differently for liking what I like. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know who this number was. And by the way, I I still get asked this to this very day, just in a nutshell, Uh, I am not a bandwagon fan. I've liked the Chiefs since the 80s, and uh, I chose them because they were in the state of my birth, Missouri. So, go Chiefs. But despite the things that make us different from one another, whether serious or not serious, I would say that the things that unite us are far greater far more important than the things that make us different from one another. Let me say that again in case that was a little convoluted. The things that make us different from one another, they are nowhere near as important as that which unites us. And in this passage of Scripture, there are things that we will notice in which we're different. But the passage as a whole is meant to be a uniting factor. So I want you to stick with me. I don't have a lot of time before the supper, but I do want to make our way through some of these aspects in these verses. John goes on in verse number nine, and again, he's in the middle of Communicating a variety of things, but he says to start off after this, and just by way of reference, after this obviously refers to what comes before. And what comes before is his communicating uh, God's plan as it relates to uh, the various tribes of Israel, and they will have a specific role to play during a period of great trial, tribulation, and they will be a witness for God as a whole. But then he shifts from talking about the specific tribes. And again, this is my understanding, my interpretation, along with others. Uh, He shifts to talking about not only the tribes, but creation as a whole. And he goes on and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. And here's where we see some of the differences from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, let's think about this for a second. And by the way, this is not something that's simply specific to John. God made out of one man and one woman all nations that would exist. When you move to Genesis 12 specifically, as God begins to narrow his plan, so to speak, of salvation, he calls Abraham. And Abraham will be known as the father of the Jewish people. But yet the promise to Abraham is that not only will the Jewish people be blessed in you, but all nations. And then, of course, we see Jesus stepping on the scene. And yes, Jesus is ministering to the lost sheep of Israel, but you see him healing and speaking to other folks who are not Jewish and yet including them. And then, of course, you see the Apostle Paul, who is called by Jesus to specifically minister primarily to Gentiles. So all of that to say... God's plan from ages ago was to bring in not just one specific ethnic group, but was to bring all groups together for the purpose of worship in his son. So John is getting a glimpse in the midst of suffering, in the midst of exile. He is looking in the form of a vision, and he is seeing all types of people. Again, not just Jews, not just those from America, not just those from uh, wherever or Asia or Africa or or Mexico. He's seeing folks from all these different places, these folks who have various languages, these folks who would have had different customs, uh, uh, different ways of, of doing things, and yet All of these people are gathered together. They're gathered together. Standing, it says in verse number 9, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, I don't want to run too quickly past the throne and the Lamb aspect. Remember, I said it already and it bears worth saying again, John is suffering. He is away from his people. He has been living and he has been promoting Jesus Christ. And as a result, he is suffering from that. And again, the people that he's writing to, these folks are going through trials and tribulations, not just as a matter of life in which all people go through things, but specifically on account of worshiping and believing Jesus. And yet, he says that all of these folks will one day be standing before a throne. Now a throne is a seat of authority. It is a seat of majesty. And our Lord, our great God, even Christ himself, who is pictured in the form of a lamb, is standing, or rather, he is before, Jesus is before all of these people, no longer in a position of suffering, no longer in the position of being doubted or or looked upon as less than, but Jesus is now standing in connection with the Father in a place of great authority, and before Jesus, before the Father, is not simply men, but women as well. Not the, simply the elderly, but more than likely those who are younger. Specifically, not just Jews, but Gentiles. All of these folks are seated, before, or rather standing, before Jesus and before the Father. Now again, that is meant to convey encouragement to the people, to know that, yes, I can suffer because my Savior suffered, and yet my Savior is now no longer suffering. And to know that He is my Savior, and to know that I will follow in His footsteps is meant to be encouraging. And so these folks, again, are being reminded that, for one, They will be with a host of other folks standing before the Lamb, before the throne. And it says also that they will be clothed in white robes. Now, whether or not this is literal, again, there are various interpretations. But in essence, this means to communicate that these will be folks who have been cleansed of their sin. If you're struggling with sin, or if you're struggling with, with uh, temptation, or if you've been stained, which we all have by sin, know that there will be a day in which we stand completely spotless before the Lord. And that's good news. Amen? They're standing before the throne and they're clothed with white robes. And not only that, but they have palm branches in their hands. And this is a tool of victory. This is meant to communicate triumph. For example, you'll see the triumphal entry of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem, and they have palm branches. This is, again, again a sign of victory. Kings would come in from winning battles. And they would be greeted with palm branches and such. And it was meant to convey that we have a victorious king. Well, Jesus himself is victorious. Amen? And by the way, he goes on and he says that they cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Not only are they standing, but they're crying out. And it is a loud cry. And their cry by the book is one of salvation. Now, I want you to go back at some point in the day and to reread over this. And you can read some of the following verses as well. But three things I want us to take into consideration as it relates to us being united in worship. First, and foremost what unites us is our need our need the folks in this passage as well as us and we can see ourselves in this passage we all have a great need i don't care if you were born with a trust fund i don't care Let me not say it like that. I think the scripture doesn't care if you were born into great wealth or if you were born into great stock. All of us have a specific need. And then there are some who were born with little to no means. And of course, you have a need as it relates to your material situation, But the need that unites all people is the need of salvation. All folks are born, the scriptures would say, stained and tainted by sin. As a result of such sin, we are born with a great deficit. There is no righteousness of our own. There is no salvation for which we ourselves can get by our own works. And that salvation is a common need for all peoples. And so the people in this specific passage again for which I see ourselves, we would all be standing in light of our great need. And so we are united in the fact that we all have a need. Not only that, but we are united in that we all have the same remedy to our need. We all have a need for salvation. We all have a need for redemption. We all have a need to be made right before the Lord Jesus Christ. And for all of us, the remedy is the same. Again, some of us, we might be suffering from some form of illness, and we are given specific types of medication to address that specific illness. But when it comes to salvation we, it's not one thing for the Jews and another thing for the Gentiles or one thing for this ethnic group and another thing for that ethnic group. Yes, we might worship and we might do certain things differently in terms of our custom, but when it comes to the remedy for our sin, it is the same and it is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are not only united in the fact that we all have a great need, specifically the need of salvation, we are all united in the fact that we have the same remedy, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, our destiny, our future unites us. Again, in this specific passage, Jesus is not visiting different countries or different churches, but we're all gathered before him, and we're all crying out together, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As a matter of fact, if you have that in your Bible, why don't you read that with me? Let's say it together, verse number 10. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Say it again. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the cry of all of us. Whether you like mayonnaise or not, whether you like the chiefs or not, whether you are from Asia or here, no matter whether you're older or younger, no matter whether you're uh, male or female, no matter whether you went to this school versus this school, we all will stand together in light of the fact that we had a great need that was met by the same Savior, and we all will be crying out together that salvation belongs to our Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, as I close, as I close out, this is what unites us. This is what unites us. And I, I, I want us this morning, and again, this is meant to be joyful. This, this, this passage of Scripture is meant to encourage those who find themselves in difficult moments. And, and, and I, want us, I, I want us, for one, uh, I want us to not only remember this in light of discouragement, Whenever we're going through something, whenever we're struggling, let's remember this. That's, that's a part of it. But I, I want us to think along the lines of diversity for a second. We all, you know, we all can just look around and we would see there are different faces and folks from different places. And if we've interacted with one another, uh, you know, we will know that we're different in a variety of ways. And, you know, I've, heard, I've had people uh, who, who've said it about my former church, and I know there have been folks who've said it about this church. Man, that is so awesome to be ministering at a church with such diversity. And by the way, amen. But there's another side to the coin. It's not easy. And I'm not saying that simply as a pastor or elders or deacons or women's leadership who have a responsibility to minister in in such diversity. I mean, when we interact with one another, we will see that there's differences that's not always easy to navigate. And that's neither good nor bad in and of itself. That is a real reality. We must rejoice in the fact that we can come together in light of our differences, but that doesn't mean we hide the difficulties of such diversity. And we should be free to acknowledge those. We should be encouraged to interact with those who are different. We should be encouraged to advocate on behalf of those who may not exactly think or act as we do. But, brothers and sisters, what enables us, and I've said this even in the message, but I, I want us to, to, to hone in on this point this is Jesus' work. It's one thing to say, oh, I want to be a part of a diverse church and, and, and I want to, uh, you know, pastor or be a leader or be a member or a participant in a church that's so diverse. Well, I, for those of you all who are familiar with church history, there's been churches that's tried that and it has not gone so well. There are churches who have tried this very thing and it has not gone so well for a variety of reasons. And yet, this church has been in existence for quite some time. And praise the Lord for those that he has brought and put here for leadership purposes, and then not only that, but those of you all who are willing to come and worship together. This is Jesus' doing. The same Lord who saves souls is the same one who brings us together in light of our differences. And brothers and sisters, it is one thing to look to eternity and see a picture of great diversity worshiping together. Let's not take for granted what we have here and now. Because there are people who want what we have. And for one reason or another, they're not able. And this is not to put us on any high horse This is not for us to brag or or, or to toot our horns. This is an opportunity for us to give God great praise. And we don't have to wait until eternity to do that. There are some churches, unfortunately, that will have to wait because of their dynamics. But we can give God thanks in eternity and even now. And so, brothers and sisters, let's, for this Unity Month, as we kick it off, let's be united in our worship of our great Savior. Let's acknowledge that we have a need. Let's acknowledge that that need has been met in Christ, and let's be grateful that we have a future together in Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you, and we bless your most holy name, for we look and we see one another and we see. A lot of differences. And these are differences that we could even thank you for. But yet, Father, we are so grateful for that which unites us. We all have sinned. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We all were in need of a great Savior. And we all have the same great Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we look forward to eternity in which we will worship not only with fellow members of faith, but with all of your people from across the world. Until then, Father, help us to be grateful for what you have put together here. For this is your doing, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.